interview experts and enthusiasts in the natural resources field, and we get them to explain what's going on. I'm Natalie. And I'm Heather. Today we have Gabby Moreno with us. Thanks so much for taking the time to be here with us. And so you are a senior studying fish, wildlife, and conservation biology. My first question for you is just what draws you to marine biology? And what about it makes you fall in love with it? I've just always been in love with the ocean since I was a little girl. And I've always been super interested in sharks. I would just watch Shark Week every single year and get like really excited and always record every episode, even if I already had it recorded on my TV like 20 times. <laughs> but I just liked learning about the ocean because there's so many different parts and they all work together, which is super interesting to me. And I guess is what kind of drives me to want to learn more about marine biology in general. So cool. weird question. Have you ever been a shark for Halloween? No, but I have dressed my cats up as sharks. That's beautiful. <laughs> so <laughs> almost the same That's thing. That's even better. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you describe the research experience for undergrads program and how you got involved in that? Yeah, so the REU is this program that's funded by the NSF, the National Science Foundation. And there's a bunch of different kinds. There's like microbiology, chemistry, physics, REUs available all across the United States. Like CSU has an REU for microbiology. And usually how the REU works is you get travel and living costs funded for wherever you're going to be. So I applied to some in like Florida and Hawaii. But then usually they also come with a stipend. So I was paid to go to Costa Rica. They covered my flight and my housing. I was living at the Las Cruces Biological Station right in the rainforest of southern Costa Rica. And they paid for my food. All my meals were provided, all my transportation. And then I also was given a stipend throughout the time that I was there just so that way I didn't have to like worry about not having an actual paying job while I was gone for three months. Yeah, that's so cool. Sign me up for that. Yes. Did you to travel? <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. How did you find out about the RU? Um, I had looked into applying for this, the specific RU that I participated in uh, the end of my sophomore year, so before my junior year. But it requires usually a, at least 10 weeks for the program. And I was going to have to be spending four of the weeks of my summer up at Pingree Park for the NR220 course. So I actually couldn't apply for it. So I waited until last spring and I applied to like 10 different REUs because I really, really wanted one because it's just the best opportunity that you could have. So... I applied to 10. I asked my advisor to write me 10 different letters of recommendation. And I like ranked them by like which one I wanted the most. And Costa Rica was definitely at the top of my list because it was the only one in a different country, which is super, super exciting. I just went through the application process for all of them and hoped that I would at least get one of them. Yeah, well, obviously it worked out for you, right? Yeah, so, um, it did. <laughs> what made you choose to study freshwater crabs? Was it just the Costa Rica placement or was it something you like really were interested in? So all of the REUs that I applied to were more marine biology related. The ones in Hawaii were more coral rehabilitation and sustainability. And then Florida was some like fish and 
I think there may have been a shark one. I'm not too sure. I don't remember all of them. But the way it works is usually when you apply to an RU, you apply to like a single mentor. And there'll be either mentors from the hosting institution or other institutions that come and work for that RU. So I applied to a mentor through the RU that I was in from the Georgia Southern University. And he typically studies like freshwater crayfish and a bunch of different things that they do. And so usually you add on to whatever research they're doing, like you kind of continue it, but maybe in like a slightly different direction. So that way it's still your own, but still theirs, if that makes sense. But my mentor allowed me to kind of just pick what I wanted to study because he thought that if we're as interested as possible, then it's going to work out the best. And so he told me that there were crabs and fish and insects in the rivers and streams in Costa Rica. And I've done a lot of work with fish, so I was really interested in just trying something new and working with crabs. And he had a lot of experience with crustaceans, so I figured it would probably be a good opportunity to do that. Yeah, no kidding. That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I heard the story about how you discovered basically a new species of crab. So I was wondering if you could tell us more about how that happened and kind of what resulted from that. Yeah. So the first week we kind of, me, my mentor, and I had one other student that was with my mentor. So we were kind of partners, but we studied, we both studied crabs, but different things. So he took us out and we were just like walking up and down the river and looking at all the different aspects of the ecosystem, trying to figure out what specifically we wanted to study because we knew we wanted to work with crabs, but we weren't sure exactly what each of us wanted to do. We were collecting some crabs um, and he would explain to us like, oh, they're pretty small. They have like spots on their like shell. They're not really big. Um, They're like light brown, tannish. And so we caught a couple of those. And then one of the first crabs we caught was a little different. It was pretty dark and it had like bright red banding on the inside of its claws. The elbow joint was bright red basically. And so I asked my mentor, I was like, oh, is this just because like we found this one in the river and not the stream? Or is it because it's like a male or something? And he was like, no, I don't know. Like sometimes they just have that. And I was like, okay, cool. So we only collected one of those for like a couple weeks. And then we caught like maybe two more that had that red banding. And he wanted to show me and my partner how to like specifically identify a crab down to the species. So you use their reproductive parts because each species has a very specific structure. Like some will have hairs, some will have like thorns and like weird shapes. So I had one of the crabs that had the red banding to identify and my partner just had like one of the normal crabs. But we didn't think anything of it because my mentor had insisted that they were it was just a thing. And so when we were going through the key, he was kind of just like guiding us. He was like, okay, this is the first couplet. Like, what do you think we should do? Like one or two, like which path should we take? And I was like, oh, it's definitely not number one. And he was like, well, maybe you should look again. Just really focus on what it's saying. And I was like, okay, maybe I just like really didn't see that the right way. And so I was looking at it again for like 20 more minutes. And I was like, I'm very positive that it's not the first one. And he was like, hmm, let me just look. So he like 
took the microscope and looked at it and he was like, oh, <laughs> this is definitely different. And I was like, yeah. And then we like pulled the like claws open and we saw that it had the red banding and we were like, oh, like it's probably just that all the red banding crabs have different gonopods. So we went and looked at all the other red banded crabs that we had in our holding tanks and all of their gonopod structures were very different from the species that we thought we were looking at. So it was pretty cool because I was right. (laughs) I kept telling him, I was like, are you sure it's not a different species? Like they don't have spots. They're really dark. They have really big claws. They're pretty big crabs. And he was like, no, probably not. And then after like at least nine or 10 hours sitting there trying to identify like what species it actually was. Dang, that's a long yeah. time to be looking yeah. at crabs. <laughs> it took forever. And so then we were finally like, yeah, this is definitely not the same at all. This is something different. So it was really cool. It was a good experience, but also kind of messed up my project a little bit because <laughs> I was doing behavior. So I had to make sure I was looking at just one species. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of tricky, but it was super cool. Yeah. And so do you know like what happens with that information after because you've found something new? Like, what do you do with that? Yeah. So there's ecological note that you can write up and publish to say like this new species was documented in this specific area. We went through this, this and this. This is how we found it. This is how we know it's not the same as the original species that was said to be here. And so me and my mentor have kind of just like been working on that to figure out like okay these are the steps we need to take to write this and publish this as well as like working on publishing both of mine and my partner's actual projects from this summer. So when did you like know that it was definitely a new species of crab? Was it just like you looked for so long there was no way you could have missed it? So I looked at it and I spent all my time trying to get it down to something. And then my mentor looked at it. And then we had another mentor who is from Spain and she does a lot of stuff with like taxonomic features and how things are kind of just like identified into different species and that kind of stuff. And so then she looked at it, too, and we all kind of just came to the same conclusion. That's cool. It was pretty cool. (laughs) So since you were in Costa Rica, what surprised you the most and what was your favorite part about that? I think something that definitely surprised me a lot (laughs) was when I first applied to the internship, I thought that I would be living in a town outside the rainforest and then like probably commuting to the rainforest to do whatever kind of data collection needed to be done and then going back and evaluating it. And then when we got there, the bus driver and our coordinator was like, oh, this is the town. This is the nearest town. This is where you'll go if you need to get any snacks or just need to like get away from the station for a little bit. And we were like, okay, cool. And then we kept driving like 20 more minutes. And I was like, (laughs) where are we going? (laughs) And we turned down just like a dirt road and it led us up to the biological station that we ended up staying at. And it was literally just in the middle of the rainforest. Like the rainforest just was all around us. And there were trails going up to the top of the mountains, through the rivers, through the primary and the secondary forests in every single direction. And it also was um, a botanical garden. So it was just gorgeous. Like the layout was super, super pretty. And so I was really surprised because at first I was like, whoa, (laughs) this is going to be rough not being by civilization. Yeah. Yeah, for so long. 
And then I was like, okay, actually, this is really awesome because we got to live in like this giant house that was just covered with windows. And it was just like eight bedrooms, four bathrooms. And me and all the other students, which were from around the whole world, just living together and like hanging out and learning about each other's projects. So it was really fun. Yeah, that's so cool. Oh yeah. Gosh. And there was a botanical garden. Yeah. Well, why would you want to live in the town? I know. I was <laughs> like, I would rather live here for sure. And then we could just take a taxi to town too. And like, we made a lot of friends there and just hang out and stuff. So it so was nice. How long were you there for? I was there for probably like two and a half months. I left right at the very beginning of June and came back the second week of August. So do you think living in a place like that has affected how you live your life now at all? Yeah, because I was in Mexico during the spring semester. And then I came back for like, I think, three weeks and then went to Costa Rica. So I was not in the U.S. a lot prior to August. But it definitely does change it just because the way people live in both of those countries is so different than how we live and just the culture is really, really strong in both of those countries. They're different for sure from each other, but both very strong and very like family oriented, I'd say. And just Costa Rica in itself was very sustainably like advanced, I guess. Like they used paper straws, really didn't have any litter or trash anywhere. It was a very, very clean and just really pretty. It was a very social country. Like everyone was really kind to each other and really welcoming and really like really happy that you were there and always wanted to include you in different things and like especially dancing. We did a lot of dancing there. <laughs> so yeah, I think it definitely has impacted my way of living because it's made me want to be more welcoming and loving to other people and new experiences, but also just hopeful because usually Latin America and Central America are seen as less developed, but Costa Rica was already so advanced on being clean and having all these renewable choices for different things that if they can do it, then so many other countries can do it as well, which is really good to see as a conservation biology major. Yeah, very cool. Also, I know you mentioned that through the program, it kind of gave you a chance to observe other women in science doing similar work. So I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more about that and why that's meaningful to you and why that's important. Yeah. So there were a good amount of female mentors at the REU. Um, a couple of them were studying lizards. So they were herpetologists and behavioral ecologists. And then there was one that was studying frogs and one of the other ladies, she was helping a student study crabs and semi-aquatic spiders. So and, wait, can I yeah. step you? What is a semi-aquatic spider? Yeah, so it's crazy. <laughs> My friend Macy was studying these and she deserves major props because they're these spiders that are probably bigger than my hand like spread out oh my gosh and <laughs> they kind of just like sit on the water and they're nocturnal and they just eat the fish and other organisms that live in the river but then they'll also climb up on this like banks and like rocks and trees and stuff so sometimes they're, they're in the water but sometimes they're on land but they're huge. Dang. I'm scared enough of spiders yeah. on land as it is. <laughs> they're massive. Like, they're seriously Whoa. creepy. 
but they're really clumsy. Like, really? they'll Love like that. trip over their own legs trying to run away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I specifically had a male mentor who was amazing and really taught me so much about the scientific process and setting up your own experiment. But just being able to see like the other females that were there that were also from underrepresented backgrounds was really inspirational. And one of them gave a talk to our group of students and mentors about kind of just like her research and what she's found and also like how she's had to like overcome being a female in the field of science and just trying to like continue through her different degrees and her different um, research studies that she's done in different countries and all of the kind of different experiences that she's had. But then the REU also kind of pushed us in the best way to apply for a national conference to present our research. So I actually just went to that last weekend. It was called SACNIS and it was also for like underrepresented scientists. They had the first Hispanic woman to go to space as one of the keynote mm-hmm. speakers. And it was just so awesome to be able to listen to all the stuff that she's done in her life and how she grew up in Mexico and then came to the U.S. and has done so many things. And it's just really, really awesome to see all of the other people that were presenting their research there and to learn from them and see how they've done things and how I can also do things after graduation. I've literally met with my advisor probably like, I don't even know, 15 times this semester. But I think what I've decided is that I'm going to go into grad school after this spring when I graduate. And I think I'm planning to pursue a PhD degree just because I know I want to be in academia. I want to be able to teach other people like the other professors in Warner, just share my passion of nature and science and conservation with other students that are passionate about it as well, but then also still be able to conduct research and just be able to learn more about the wildlife and our environment and have research findings that can contribute to different conservation plans throughout the globe, I guess, because not just the U.S., but pretty much anywhere. But we'll see. (laughs) It's a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. That's like nine years of your life. I know, it's crazy. That's why I plan on just not doing a master's because a master's is two years. Oh, you can just jump right straight into your PhD. Mm -hmm. And a PhD is five. So it's more of just like, if you're unsure of what you want to study and where you want to go, then you should do a master's. It kind of just helps you figure out things and like guide your... Maybe you don't want to do a PhD because it's a lot of work. Then you could just do a master's because a lot of higher level jobs only require a master's. So, yeah, but I definitely want to be a professor. So that's why I want to do a PhD. Cool. Seems reasonable. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Going back to kind of the culture thing you were talking about earlier. So how do you think that the science research you were doing and the culture of Costa Rica kind of intersected? And like why, if it does matter, why does it matter? Um, I definitely think science and culture have a pretty heavy overlap in general just because you're always studying something in a place that has significance to the people that are living there, whether it's current or in the past. And studying them, you can learn a lot of different things about them, but being able to enact the different 
kind of plans that you come up with from your research, whether that be for conservation or preservation or harvest limits, all those different kind of things always will go back and affect the people that are living there and that really value that organism or that system. And so specifically, there's a frog in Puerto Rico called the coqui and climate change has been really affecting that frog. And that frog is the symbol of the island. Like they worship the coqui. It's on everything. I used to have like a little coqui pin when I was little because my dad's from Puerto Rico. And so it's a really big deal to them. And since climate change is really affecting them, something I'm super interested in is seeing how those shifts in the population dynamic of the frogs is going to affect the culture of Puerto Rico because their calls are changing, their little songs that they sing, which is why the people of Puerto Rico love it so much. And those calls are changing. And so if those calls are changing, how is that going to affect how the people of Puerto Rico feel about the frogs? Like, are they still going to love it as much as they used to since they have a different song? Or are they going to start telling stories about how they used to love the original song of the Coquille and like how it's transitioned over time because of various things like temperature or invasive species and all that kind of stuff. So I feel like it's really important to be able to acknowledge the culture and acknowledge that sometimes it's going to be harder to enact different plans than others because of those underlying values between different people. So conservationists may have a really heavy value on something while the other engineers may have a heavier value on something else, which may cause some tensions in trying to figure out the best plan to like go with. So I feel like it's always just really important to kind of just take all of that into perspective when you're trying to communicate the science or also just be proactive about the science. Cool. I didn't know <laughs> that about um, the cookie frog. Yeah, I've actually been really considering doing my graduate research on it. So I think I probably will, but I'm also just wondering if I should do fish because <laughs> I love fish. I don't know. I need to decide that. That's the biggest problem right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. sure deciding what you want to study for the next five years isn't an easy yeah. decision. It's tricky. Yeah. Because then also once you do your PhD, you're kind of like stuck with it. Like forever. that's your thing. Yeah. It's like, okay, I did my PhD on this. I'm going to keep doing more research on this now. Mm. So it's like. Do I keep going or do I change my mind? I don't know. <laughs> if someone's listening and they're thinking about studying abroad, but they're nervous about it or they're not sure if they want to go, what's your advice to them about that? I definitely recommend studying abroad. For me, my experience was a little different because I was at the CSU campus in Mexico. And so all of the courses that I took were courses I would have been taking here in Colorado. So it didn't really change anything for me. They were the same classes. They were taught differently. We had professors rotating in and out every couple of weeks to teach us different courses. So it was a pretty heavy course load, but I've had a lot of friends that have studied abroad in Europe and Costa Rica and other different countries, and everyone just loves it. And I think it's a really great experience for you to try something new and also be able to kind of see how whatever you're learning is applicable to other places besides the U.S. and besides Fort Collins. And just being able to interact with a completely different community of people because 
CSU is amazing, but staying here for four years, you're always with the same people. So it's really good to be able to branch out because once you graduate, the chances are you're going to be with a whole bunch of different people from a whole bunch of different places. So I just think it's a really good idea to learn from everyone else all around the world. And also it helps you become stronger in what you value and what you like to do and how passionate you are. And I think it's just a really fulfilling experience. I definitely agree. Yeah. For sure. The two steady rad people over here. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And so you've mentioned a couple of things, but what's something that you're currently curious about and that you want to learn more about? Like I said, I'm really curious about the coquille frog, definitely, because it's native to Puerto Rico and it's also invasive to Hawaii. And both of those places are very culture based. Both of the people that live on those islands are very proud and very rooted in their cultures from the past up until now. And so I'm really interested to see how climate change is affecting the frog in both of these ways and the calls in both of these ways, and then how it's affecting the cultures differently. Because in one island, it's seen as this golden frog, the frog of everything that they just love. But in another place, it's kind of seen as like a pest and something they don't want. And maybe it's something that's also hindering their original cultural beliefs because it's affecting native plants or other native animals. And so how is that affecting the different overall cultural views and then those overall ecosystems? See if that's affecting like the different types of conservation that's going into those two areas. It's pretty broad, I guess, but just kind of like in general, how different cultures can affect different things because of the values that the people have. Awesome. Very cool. Cool. So yeah, those are all the questions we have for you. Thank you so much for joining us. It was really great to have you here and question you about wildlife. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for having me. This is us signing off. I'm Heather. I'm Natalie. We'll see you again on Tune Into Nature.